I want to welcome you to Linworth Road Church. If you're new here with us this morning, my name is Nicholas Shivo. I'm one of the pastors here at Linworth, and I'm typically up here doing music on Sunday morning. But today I get the really cool opportunity of sharing God's word with you, and I'm, I'm really excited about that, really excited to be here with you. And I wanted to start our time off just by asking a question, okay? And you can answer the question if you've experienced this by raising your hand. Who here has ever had a time in your life where things didn't really work out the way that you were planning for them to work out? Yeah, yep. Okay, how about if you've had one of these moments that didn't really work out the way that you were planning, it led to a, uh, a relative amount of suffering or pain? Yeah, right? We've all been there. Uh, we've all experienced these moments. And some of these moments are really significant in our lives. Some of us have experienced this already where we get that late night phone call from a loved one telling us that a family member has passed away. My grandma just died a few weeks ago, and so my family experienced that. You know, some of us have gone into work expecting to have a normal day at our job only to find that our pastor, or not our pastor, that would be bad, our boss, in my case it is my pastor and my boss, but in your case that is not the case, uh, your boss calls you into the office and tells you, hey, we, we got to let you go. We, we got to downsize, the economy's not doing that great, and we got to let you go. These are unexpected things in our lives that happen that bring about uh, suffering, trials, and, and sorrow and fear, right? We've, we've all been through those things. For me personally, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my wife and I, we were on our way to the hospital. She was in labor with our uh, youngest daughter. Her name's Lucia. And, you know, the anticipation was mounting. We were super excited to uh, meet our little girl. And we've had two kids beforehand, so we have all these expectations of what the birth of a baby should look like, just based on our past experiences. And so we get to the delivery room. My wife goes into beast mode. She starts pushing the baby out. And next thing we know, our, our, our little daughter comes out. And we were ecstatic for like three seconds. And out of nowhere, the doctor informs us that she was born with a cleft palate and a cleft lip. This news from our doctor threw us into a whirlwind of confusion, fear, and worry. On top of that, um, after she came out, because of her uh, mouth and the way that it was, it, it, it was structured, she was having issues eating, she was having issues breathing, and her O2 levels were steadily dropping. And I remember the next morning waking up, leaving the hospital to go pick up my other two kids. My mom was watching our kids at, at our house, and I was going to bring them back to the hospital. And I remember specifically pulling into the driveway, and right when I pulled in, my phone starts ringing. And it's my wife on the other end, sobbing. And I'm like, hey, what, what, what's going on? What's wrong? And she said, well, the doctors didn't really tell me a whole lot, but Lucia's not breathing that well. She's not eating that well. Her O2 levels are too low, and so they brought her to the NICU. And I don't really know what, what, what's going on. And so it's just more fear and more confusion mounting on top of itself. And we've all been through these moments in our life. This moment was a moment in our lives that didn't really quite go the way that we were expecting. And I want to ask this question. Because we all have these moments, we will have these moments. We've had them in the past, and we will have them in the future. How do we handle these moments? How do we process these moments? Do we resort to fear? Do we resort to questioning God? 
Or is there a reality where these unexpected moments of suffering in our lives lead us to a place of prayer and a place of praise to God? As we continue in our series this morning in the book of Acts, we're going to see that Paul and his missionary team um, experienced some unexpected events. And for at least two of the guys, Paul and Silas, it leads to significant pain and significant suffering. But what we're also going to see is we're going to uh, see that the Holy Spirit, uh, through, through his power, through his working, gives us hope. That we can not only just endure suffering, but we can process suffering and, and we can work through our suffering well. The Holy Spirit helps us to turn our gaze from fear and anxiety onto the Lord and our suffering. And we see this in our passage this morning as we continue in our series. So with that, will you open up your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, if there's not one in the pew in front of you, it's going to be up here on the screen as well. So Acts 16, I'll give you a second to turn there. We're going to start in verse 16. And I just want to invite you to stand and read along with me as we read God's word this morning. Acts 16, verse 16 through 25, it says this. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives, God. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you sent to us to be with us, to live in us. Father, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would allow your word to come alive in us, Lord. You would allow your word to speak to us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would bring conviction and, uh, Lord, just conviction to those here who are maybe complacent in where they're at in their faith, God. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort to those who are just in, in difficult situations right now, God. I pray that you would bring comfort to those who are really questioning where they're at with you this morning. Father, we love you. We, we pray for this time. We commit it to you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. <clears throat> okay, so if you didn't get an opportunity to listen to the message from last Sunday, I would highly recommend that you do. Uh, Pastor Chris gave a great message on what it looks like to hear from God. 
And uh, I don't have time to sort of summarize what happened at the beginning of chapter 16, but there are a few things that I want to point to that will help us understand how we get to where we're at in chapter 16 today, okay? So the first thing that I, I want to point to is that Paul and his team are on this second missionary journey, okay? They're on this mission trip, if, if you will. And they get this clear call from the Lord in the form of a vision of a man saying, hey, come over to Macedonia, Please come to Macedonia. And when I read this verse in chapter 16, I can't help but think of Star Wars. I think of little R2-D2 projecting this holographic image of Princess Leia saying, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You are my only... Yes. I knew there were going to be some nerds in here this morning. I, I, I think of that when I read this verse because I'm a nerd too. And so they get this call to go to Macedonia. And they get there and they meet this really awesome lady named Lydia. One of the things I love about chapter 16 are two of my kids, two of my three kids are named after uh, people in Acts chapter 16, Lydia and Silas. If you're wondering about my third kid, there is that crazy girl that follows Paul and Silas around screaming stuff at them. That can be my, that could be my youngest daughter, Lucia. Maybe her name's Lucia as well. But anyway, they meet this woman, Lydia. She gets saved. She gets baptized. And at this point in the trip, if you're Paul, I, I, I know this is me if I'm, if, if, if I'm Paul, I'd be thinking, man, God, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. You gave me this clear sign to come to this place that we've never been before. And as soon as we get here, we meet this awesome woman, Lydia, who gives her life to you and she gets baptized. Right off the bat, we're seeing fruit from this trip. You're so good. But let's look at what happens next. Uh, it says that they, every day they went to this place of prayer, and every day this crazy girl, a.k.a. my youngest daughter, would follow them around, and they would, uh, she, she would yell stuff at them. And eventually, Paul just got fed up with it. This girl was possessed by a demon, a spirit of divination, and Paul got fed up with it. He said, I had enough, and so he says, in the powerful name of Jesus, I command you to come out of this girl, and it says at once the spirit came out. It's interesting to note here that Paul and his crew followed this calling from God to this place. And guess what happens? The enemy shows up. The enemy shows up. The enemy is there. He wants to disrupt and distract this team from doing what they came there to do. And folks, the same is true in our lives. When we're obedient to the call of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do the ministry that God wants us to do, you can bet there will be opposition. You can bet that there's nothing more that, that, that Satan wants in your life than to distract you, disrupt you, and keep you on the sidelines. And that's what the Spirit wanted to do with Paul and his missionary team. And Paul said, I, I'm, I'm sick of this. And he used the power of Jesus' name and cast the Spirit out of this girl. Well, shortly after this happened, these, these men who took this girl as their possession, this is a sad thing about this girl, she's a slave not only to the devil, but to these two men. And they saw that this, this spirit went out of her and they got very mad at Paul and Silas. They were livid. It says that they took them and they dragged them in front of the magistrates. And, and what did they do? What did they say? Did they say, okay, magistrates, these two men, we, we had this girl that we took as our own slave. She was possessed by this evil spirit and we used it for our own financial gain and they cast her out and now we, we have no opportunity to make money. That's not what they said. 
they bore false witness, false testimony against Paul and Silas. They started off by saying, these men are Jews. They're disrupting our city. They're advocating practices that aren't lawful for us to practice. But that's not what they were doing. And so they bore false witness against Paul and Silas. Well, once the crowd around these men and and Paul and Silas heard what was going on, they they joined in on the attack. They didn't want to have any of what these guys were accusing Paul and Silas of doing either. And for the magistrates, they saw this crowd mounting and gathering, and I think they felt this pressure that they had to do something. Sounds a lot like Jesus' conviction in, in, in his crucifixion. And so the magistrates, they order that their clothes be stripped off, that they be stripped naked in front of everybody. How humiliating would that be? Could you imagine being dragged down to the Franklin County Courthouse in order to have your clothes ripped off of you and you're naked in front of everybody? It's humiliating. And then on top of that, the magistrates ordered them to be beaten with rods. Now these rods, think of a dowel rod. So they're like these dowel rods that are about the thickness of a thumb and they're bound together with like 30 other rods. And it says that they, were in, that, that they inflicted many blows with these rods onto Paul and Silas. And so not only were Paul and Silas humiliated and, and wrongly accused, they, were, they had the mess beat out of them. They got the beating of a lifetime. Their skin was broken open. They were bleeding. They were battered. And after that, the magistrates ordered them to be taken to jail. And not only just to jail, but to the inner prison of this jail. I used to work construction, and we did a project at the Orient Correctional Facility, and I helped build this segregation wing. It was, it was actually a very interesting experience. And so we were in these cells, and they're tiny, but the things that they had going for them is they had running water, they had beds, and all of these things. This is not the same situation that these men were in in this prison. This place was filthy. There's probably urine and other things all over the floor. There are probably rats running around. And all there was was four walls and a, a, a cold, hard floor. And it says specifically that when they went into the cell, they were placed into the stocks. I have a picture up here of what these stocks look like. So you're put into these stocks and you're, you're fastened to them and you're forced to sit in these really awkward, uncomfortable ways. And that's bad enough on, on its own. But imagine being brutally beaten on top of that. And you're just trying to sit some way that it's not rubbing up against one of your wounds that's on your body right now. And so this is what Paul and Silas went through. This was a moment in their life that they were not expecting that led to a great deal of suffering and pain. And so let's just run through this list of what they went through. They went through spiritual attack. They experienced false accusation. They experienced racism, I think. The first thing that these men point out about Paul and Silas is that these men are Jews. And they're disrupting our city. I think they had a problem with Jews. They experienced humiliation. They were stripped naked. They were severely beaten. And they were imprisoned. Again, like we spoke about earlier, this was a moment in these men's lives where things didn't go the way that they were planning. This is a moment in their lives where even being obedient to the call of God led to significant suffering and pain. And here's the thing. God could have easily stepped in and ended it. 
He could have easily intervened, but he didn't. At least right away, we're, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But the same is true in our lives. The, the, the moments like this that we experience, God could easily intervene. He could have uh, allowed that person that, that, that we love that just passed away to live a little bit longer. He could have allowed or stopped that disease from forming in our body that we just got news about from our doctor. But he doesn't all the time. At least right away. And when he doesn't, for most of us, that's when we are reduced to worry, fear, and anxiety. That's what I was reduced to with, with my daughter when she was born. But what we don't see and what we don't understand is what God is doing behind the scenes. What we don't see, what we don't understand is the work that God is doing and the things that he's producing in us through our suffering. And so we went through this list of things that these men endured. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if it were me and I were Paul and I was sitting in this jail, I would be, I would be having some words with God. Saying, Lord, what are you doing? Why did you lead us here? I thought we were here to do your work, the, the work of ministry. And here we are in this jail cell, locked away, rendered completely useless for the gospel. What are you doing? I'd begin to question myself. Did I really see that vision of that man? Am I going just absolutely crazy? I'd begin to question myself. But is that what these men do? Is this how they respond to this situation? No. What, what's it say that they do? They sing. What else? And they pray. They sing and they pray. And some people, they want to say, well, they were probably singing songs of lament to God because they were in such anguish and they were in such pain. But it literally says that they were singing hymns, which, which means songs of praise. So they weren't just singing. They were singing songs of praise to God. It's also been commented on that because these men were Jews, they knew the book of Psalm, Psalms really well. And so a lot of people make the argument that they were actually singing Psalms to God. And I'm a musician. I love music. Music really moves me in a lot of different ways. And this week as I was prepping, I was just thinking, I was using my imagination a little bit. I wonder if that's true. I wonder what psalm they were singing, you know. Maybe they were singing Psalm 40. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I love that psalm. I don't know if that's what they were singing. I don't know if they were even actually singing psalms. But what we do know for sure is that they were singing praises to God. Do you respond this way in these really difficult moments of your life? Oftentimes, I don't. I just shared a lot of that with you at the beginning of this talk. I remember a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we were on our way home from the Outer Banks. We had this amazing week there. We got invited to this destination wedding and we're on our way home. I felt relaxed. I felt refreshed. And I remember thinking, there is nothing that's going to ruin this week. Man, was I wrong. Literally an hour or two into our trip home, we're coming out of North Carolina and two of our lug nut threads like snapped off of our back wheel and our car looked like a really bad football throw. It was just wobbly and it was just not drivable. 
We had our one-year-old, our, our oldest daughter was one at the time, so she was in the car. Uh, we were taking one of our friends to the airport, so they had to catch a cab. And on top of all of that, we're in the South, in the summer, on a Sunday morning. That is a bad equation. Really hot, plus nothing open, equals a really bad situation. I did not sing praises to God in that moment. That was, that was one of my worst fears, being stuck in an unfamiliar place with really seemingly no way out. I saw my wife pushing my one-year-old daughter around the parking lot in the heat. And to be honest with you guys, I was reduced to tears. I was fearful. I did not seek the Lord in that moment through that moment of suffering. And again, when our youngest was born, with all of the issues that she had, I, I didn't sing songs of praise to God. And so my question this morning for myself and for all of us is, how do we get to this place? I, I want to get to this place where Paul and Silas are. And I think you do too. How do we get there though? I don't think this is something that we as human beings just do naturally, right? It's not, it's not how we operate naturally. We, we operate in fear and worry and anxiety in a very natural way. And so how is this possible? Well, the first thing that I want to point to, and, and this is really what our series is all about. We, we've entitled it Empowered. Is I, I first want to say that I think Paul and Silas were only able to do this through the power and through the work of the Holy Spirit living within them. I don't know if you know this or not, but today uh, on the church calendar is a day where we're to celebrate Pentecost. And what Pentecost is, is a day that we remember when the Lord told us that he was promising us that he was going to send his Holy Spirit, the helper, to live within us. Jesus in, in John fourteen twenty six says specifically that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that he helps us so much is in our suffering. Our ability to be able to suffer well, I don't think it's something that we muster up on our own. And I know that Paul and Silas, these men were filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you see it through the book of Acts. You, you see it in Paul's writings. And I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the main ways that they were able to sing praises to God and pray to him in, in, in this difficult time is that they trusted God. They trusted God in a deep way. How do we know this? Well, if you go back and read Acts, the, the, the beginning of Acts 16, what you see there is you see four men who set out on this mission trip and they try to go to two different locations that are pretty far away from one another. And so they go and it says specifically that the Spirit would not allow them to enter into these two places. So for me, if I'm there on the boat or whatever it is they were on, I would get to that second place and after that rejection, I'd say, you know what, guys? I just don't feel like the Lord's in this. I mean, we gave it a good run. Maybe we should just pack up and go home. It's, be, it's become clear that the Lord doesn't want us on this mission trip. But that's not the case with these men. These men got this vision from the Lord to go to this area that they had never been before. They got this vision of this man calling them to this place that they had never been before. And they trusted and they went. So that's one way that we can see that. Another way that we can see that they trusted God, one thing that's cool about chapter 16 is we literally see the beginning of the Philippian church start. Through Lydia and through some other people, the Philippian church starts. And so the book of Philippians, who Paul is writing to in that letter, is this church. And I just want to share some words with you that Paul wrote to this church that shows me that he had a deep trust in the Lord. And most of you are probably going to know these verses. Okay, so in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, 
It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's just break that down for a second, okay? Paul is saying that when you have been severely beaten and you're locked in prison, be anxious for nothing. When you're in prison and you've been severely beaten, go to the Lord and pray to him. Go to the Lord with thanksgiving in your hearts. Know and understand that he is the God of peace. Paul trusted these things. And it it gave him the ability to not be anxious in this moment and to go to the Lord in prayer. Another verse that we see in the book of Philippians in the same chapter in verse 19, it says that God, that, that my God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we see that Paul trusted that God was the God of peace. Later in one of his other letters, he, said that, he says that God is the God of comfort. So he trusts that God is the God of peace, the God of comfort. And in this verse, we see that he trusts that God is the God of his provision. He can trust the Lord in this moment. And we know that these things aren't just platitudes that Paul writes to this church just to make them feel better. These aren't just fluffy words, right? Like we know that Paul lived these words out. And there's many other verses like this in the book of Philippians that that shows that he deeply trusted the Lord. Another reason why I think they were able to sing and pray in this really difficult moment is because I, I think they knew that they had really nothing or no one else to turn to. I mentioned earlier that Paul most likely knew the book of Psalms really well. And when I was thinking about this point, my mind automatically went to Psalm 73. Specifically in verse 25 through 26, it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. You know, Paul was in this cell with one of his friends. They could have easily gone to each other and said, Hey, hey bro, I'm here for you. We're going to get out of this. You know, we're going to find a way out of this. But that's not what they did. They went to God. They knew that God was the only one who could truly understand what they were going through and who could truly enter into the suffering that they were experiencing. I've experienced this in my own life. And I just want to ask you, who do you turn to in these moments? Do you turn to that person that's discipling you like a little too quickly or your small group leader a little too quickly? And I don't want to downplay community because community is very important. It's not good for us as believers to be alone. Community is a gift from God. But I think so many times we, we turn to our community way before we turn to our Father who's in heaven. And I've experienced this. Like I said, I, I get the really cool opportunity to work with two of my really good friends. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty rare gift that I, I get to work with two of my really good friends. And I remember about a year ago, it was like a, a week uh, leading up to one of my daughter Lucia's first surgeries. I was just really down, really sad, really worried about the surgery. And I became frustrated with my two friends, unjustly, I might add. But I became frustrated with them because I felt like they weren't really picking up on my demeanor. They weren't really understanding why I was upset. And I remember specifically one day we were eating lunch together and I just flat out said, you know what? I think you guys have been kind of bad friends to me this, this week. 
And as soon as I started saying those words, this is no joke, a flood of thoughts started uh, like filling my mind. And I believe it was the Lord saying, no, they're not bad friends. They just can't fully understand what you're going through right now. They're limited in, in how much they can comfort you, how much they can help you, how much peace they can give you, how much assurance they can give you. Only I can do that. Come to me. And I remember the look on my friend's face. I mean, they were just confused. Like, where this is coming out of left field. Like, what's going on, you know? And uh, I, I quickly realized in that moment, Psalm 73, I, I have really no one except for God. Even my wife and I, we were walking through this together, but there was a limit to how much we could suffer with one another. We were both struggling internally with, with different things in this one same situation. So I want to encourage you, as, as we walk through these moments in life, know that our Heavenly Father really is the only one that we can turn to. Hebrew, Hebrews 4 says that we have a high priest, Jesus who is able to sympathize with our weakness. And you know, I think about Jesus' life. I think about all the ways that he experienced human suffering as he walked this earth. He was homeless. He was rejected. His friends betrayed him. He literally had friends who walked around with him every day and did not understand a word he said most of the time. How frustrating would that be? He was publicly shamed. He was wrongfully accused. And he was uh, brutally beaten and murdered. This is the Jesus that we worship, that we follow. He understands your suffering and he understands your pain. I also just want to say that there are so many things that we can point to on how these men were able to do this. We're, we're limited in our time. And, and so I just I have one more point to share with you on, I think, why these men were able to, to sing and to pray in this difficult moment. This last thing is, I think they were able to sing and pray because they knew that God is a God who uses our suffering for good in our lives and in, in the lives of others. Again, I'm going to use Paul's words here in a different book, in the book of Romans. In chapter 5, verse 3, he says this, We can rejoice... You catch that? We can rejoice when we run into problems and and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul here is saying, I'm, I'm able to rejoice in my suffering because I know God is doing something with it. I know God doesn't just sit back and watch me suffer meaninglessly. He says that it produces endurance in us. What's Paul talking about here? He's not talking about like when you're going through a really hard time, you can just go out and run a marathon. That's not what he's talking about, right? I wish that were true, you know, probably help me to get in a little bit better shape. Um, but anyway, he's talking about something different. He's talking about um, spiritual endurance. In the Bible, the word endurance literally means steadfast adherence to a course of action in spite of difficulties and testing. As we go through trials, as we work through this suffering, we develop a greater perseverance to deal with increased challenges that are going to come in our lives. 
James talks about this in, in his letter, in James chapter 1. I encourage you to go read it. Paul continues on to say that not only is endurance produced, but when endurance is produced, it develops character within us. And he's not just talking about any specific or, you know, any random character. He's talking about the character of Christ. There's a reality for all of us in here this morning that we are being sanctified by God. Sanctification is this process that the Lord is slowly taking us through to make us look more and more like Jesus. And so as we suffer, as we endure, as endurance is built up, character also begins to come out. Because our Savior suffered, we can walk through suffering and we can put on Christ and we can look more like him. And lastly, what Paul points to after these two things happen is he says that it produces hope. Produces hope in us. When we understand the hope of the gospel message, that not only did Jesus come and suffered as a human being like us, and he can relate to us in that, but he also conquered death through his resurrection, and that we get to join in the resurrection with him and become new creations, that he's coming again to right all wrongs, to wipe away all tears from our eyes, and to do away with all suffering, it gives us the ability to hope in that. To trust in that. And when we hope and trust in the gospel, the, the hope of the gospel, we can endure suffering. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, how anything that he experiences is, is momentary affliction because of the hope of the resurrection. I talked a little bit ago about how God didn't really intervene while Paul and Silas were getting whacked with these rods. We might ask, well, well why? why didn't he intervene? Well, we see later in this chapter that God did intervene, that he did come through. I want to finish reading up the rest of this chapter, not the rest of it, but just the next part of this chapter. And I want us to look at the way that God intervened and the way that God used these men's suffering for good. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Folks, when you're walking through suffering, people are, are observing you. The, the, the people you work with, your family members, your neighbors, who know that you're believers, who know that you profess the hope of Christ, they're going to observe the things that you say and, and how you process that pain and suffering. They want to know and they want to see if you really believe what you profess. They want to know and they want to see if this hope that you profess is, is really true. And this happens in this jail cell. Paul and Silas are singing praises to God and all of these, prison, all of these prisoners hear what's going on. And let's look at what happens next. Verse 26, it says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the, prisoner, that, that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in, in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. 
And he was baptized at once. And he and all of his family. This is unbelievable. God uses this unexpected moment in these men's life of pain and suffering to draw other people to himself. Other sons and daughters who were brought into the adoption of God happened through this horrific event that these two men went through. Folks, with my situation with my daughter, when I kind of worked out of that fear and anxiety uh, process, I eventually came to a place where I felt the Lord drawing me closer to him. So much so that, you know, I I began to fear uh, this circumstance, this situation in my life being over. Because I saw that the Lord was drawing me to him closer and closer. I've, I've struggled my whole life to under my, my, my whole Christian life to understand God as my father. And some of that has to do with my relationship with my earthly father. But God, in, in a profound way, through this really sorrowful moment in my life, began to reveal things to me that helped me to understand in a much clearer way that God is my father who loves me and who is good. It was producing a work in my life. So much so that I, I, I didn't want it to end. I didn't want... And, in a weird way, I wanted this suffering for my daughter to be over and all the hardships of the surgeries and all the, the, the nights of crying all night long because she couldn't eat. I wanted that to be over, but there's a part of me that didn't want it to be over because I knew it was doing something in me that really needed to happen. And in this situation, there are times in our lives where we suffer and others around us see this suffering and they see the hope that you have. And they're like, I, I, I want that. I don't have any hope in my life right now. There's a really dear friend of mine who's going through an impossible situation. And um, I'm I'm friends with him. I'm friends with one of his sons. And his son has a friend who's kind of seeking the Lord right now. And he's been asking um, the dad a lot of questions like, what what keeps you going in your faith? You know, what what keeps you going? And one day they were having lunch together. And and my friend was just like, hey, What's, what's with all you, what, you know, all the questions you've been asking me? It seems like you're really interested in the Lord and it seems like you, you want to get to know the Lord. And this guy responds by saying, I've seen how you've walked through this really difficult moment of your life and the hope that you have in Jesus. And I want that hope. So now he's coming to church regularly. He's plugged into a life group. And it's been this amazing thing. And I don't know if this would have happened in this guy's life had this other brother of mine not have been walking through this really difficult situation. So where do we go from here? How does Acts 16 teach us how to suffer well? Well, I just want to ask a few questions based on what we've talked about already this morning. And you don't have to answer, you don't have to raise your hands this time. (laughs) Do you trust God? And some of you are sitting there like, well, of course I trust God. That's a silly question, you know. It's easy to trust God when things are going right in our lives, when things are going well, when our bank account's full, when we're getting along with our family, when our job's going really well, when it seems like ministry's going really well. It's, it's easy to trust God. But it's not easy. It's sometimes it's not very easy to trust God when things are hard, when our bank, bank account shows a negative balance, you know, when we're like one demerit away at work from getting, getting cut. Do you trust God in those moments? And not only just trust, but do you trust that he's good? That he is your good father? Another question I want to ask is, in these times of sorrow and suffering in your life, 
Who do you go to first? Do you go to your friends? Do you go to uh, the person discipling you? Do you go to your small group leader? Is that the first thing that you think of when this circumstance comes up? Or do you think, man, I need to get, I need to get before my father. I remember being in the hospital after, you know, I kind of came out of my days of getting this news about my daughter. And I remember thinking, I need to call this person. I need to contact this person because their kid was born with a cleft palate and I need to talk to them. I just, I didn't have the thought in my mind. I, I need to go before the father. The last thing that I, I want to talk about um, in closing is I believe that Paul and Silas developed a habit long before this moment in jail of singing to God. And I know this is going to seem cliche because I'm the worship leader here and I like music and I'm a musician and I want everyone to like music. But I just want you to hear me out for a sec, okay? I don't think that you get put into a prison cell and just out of nowhere you think to yourself, I think singing is going to be a good idea right now. (laughs) You just don't think that. I think these men, in any circumstance in their life, they sang regularly to the Lord. I just think they did. And so that when they are in prison, when they are beaten senselessly, it's just this natural muscle memory that comes out of them. It's just, I'm going to start singing. This is what I do. And so I want to ask you, do do you have a habit of singing to God? In your car, on your way to work, while you're doing chores around the house that don't really require much thinking, do you sing to God? When we gather as the body of Christ, do you look forward to the opportunity of singing songs together? Or are you just kind of in a place where you're like, well, I don't really like the music at my church. I don't really like to sing. I'm going to just show up late and hang out in the lobby and talk to my friends. And once I hear the music's over and I hear the announcements start, I'm going to get in there and I'll I'll be at church then. I just really want to exhort you against that attitude and really want to encourage you to develop a habit of singing. We say it a lot here at Linworth that music and singing is such a crucial way that we draw near, engage, and and, and respond to God. It's so crucial for our spiritual lives. You see it all throughout the Bible. When God does these amazing things, there's a response in worship and in prayer. And when God doesn't seem like he's there, there are these moments and responses to God in singing and in prayer. So I just want to encourage you with that. And I just want to invite you to to pray with me as we close here. Father, um, Lord, we, I, I know that there are people sitting in this room right now that are deeply hurting. There are people in this room who are walking through seemingly impossible situations, Lord. Lord, I know that because some of them are my friends and I've prayed with them and I've cried with them, Lord. Father, I just pray that your word has been a comfort to them, Father. Lord, we pray that uh, you would do a work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit, God. You would, through your Holy Spirit, give us the ability to trust you, God, in difficult times. Lord, you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the ability to see and realize that there's really nothing on earth of value that's greater than you that we can turn to. In difficult times. Father, I, I pray 
that we as a body would constantly be reminding ourselves of the hope that we have through Jesus Christ that you are coming back that you are going to right all wrongs, that you are going to wipe away the tears from our eyes that we shed from living in a broken and fallen world. And Father, I, I just pray right now that we as a church, Lord, I think about the words in the song that we sing, that we would sing like never before. Pray that we would respond to you, Lord, whether we're on a mountain right now or we're in the deepest valley, we would sing to our Father who is good, to our King. Lord, we love you. We pray for the rest of this time. Pray that you would be honored and glorified. And uh, God, we just pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts right now. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.